This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. When you and I pursue holiness and Christ-likeness, God smiles, Jesus smiles, the Holy Spirit, he's elated, but no party in heaven. The parties only happen in heaven when someone who is far from God comes near to God. Then there is a party in heaven. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome to the program. Pastor Jeff brings us a short series called All In. He'll be looking at the parable of the lost sheep from Luke chapter 15 and how we should have passion for those who are, and I'm putting this in quotes, lost and far from God. And if you're feeling like a lost sheep right now, I pray that this message brings you great comfort and strength. Let's hear from Pastor Jeff and see what this passage has for us. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, Luke chapter 15, Luke 15. And we'll get there just in a moment. Uh, I've had some time this past week to reflect. And I thought, what a great way to kick off this series by letting you inside my head a little bit, because I want to talk about something that's very dear to my heart, something very crucial. I want you to learn a little bit about me, my story, uh, because it's going to help you understand about why we do what we do in this church, and it's going to set the stage well for this series all in. And before we get to Luke 15, guys, listen, I grew up in a church, we were so self-righteous. We had zero passion for anybody that was far from God. And we believed strongly in the doctrine of hell. And we were glad that hell existed so that people who disagreed with us could go there. (laughs) I mean, we had zero passion. And it was a place of no joy because it was salvation by works. And so you can't have any joy when you think that you're accepted before God on the basis of how good you were last week. Because very few of us are good. And the ones who think we're good actually weren't. We're just kidding ourselves. And so I grew up in this church that was just focused internally on ourselves. And uh, no joy. Love the doctrine of hell. We believe that God was forever constantly erasing our name from the book of life because of how we lived that week. But in the midst of all that, even as a 16-year-old, God started doing some things in my life because I knew that that the Jesus my Sunday school teacher was teaching me about was not the Jesus I saw in the church I attended. And so from a very young age, I thought, what's up with the dichotomy here? There's no harmonization here between what you teach me in Sunday school on the flannel graph board and what I see and how we work and how we operate as a church. And so I was frustrated because I believed that Jesus was relevant But the church wasn't relevant. At least my church wasn't. And so at 16 years old, we go to basketball camp with uh, my high school basketball team in a place called Maryville, Tennessee. We're playing basketball games all day. And at the end of the day, we're usually getting together and trying to recover. And I'm walking by the dorm room 
of about 10 of the other players on my team who were gathered together. And as I walked by, I heard the comment, put it away, here comes Jeff. I thought, what's going on here? Now, this was one of those moments, it was like a, a defining moment. It was like God said to me, no, this time you're gonna speak up. You don't know such thing as a closet Christian or half-hearted Christian. It's time for you to speak up. So I went, I backed up, went in the room and said, guys, what's up? Because I was the captain of the basketball team. Guys, what's up? What's happening here? What, what, are, you, what are you putting away because Jeff won't like it? And they said, dude, no, no offense, but man, we, we, got, we got the centerfold of Playboy magazine. We know you're not into that kind of thing. I said, hold on a minute. What do you think I am into? Well, there's no fun in your life. I said, no, you're wrong. I got lots of fun. Matter of fact, I'm as happy as you'll ever find. But I just think there are parameters that God gives us to live within. And he does it not because he hates us, because he's motivated out of love. You live within these parameters and you're going to get the abundant life. And so doing that, what you're doing is not within those parameters. And by the way, I'm telling you guys right now, and I even knew this at a very young age because my dad had taught me well. I said, you keep looking at stuff like that. No wife that you marry is ever going to have a chance. And so for the first time in my life, I got to speak up. Now, I did not expect what happened next. One of the guys said, well, why don't you read the Bible to us and teach us what the Bible says? <laughs> now, I wasn't ready for that. And I said, what? And I said, seriously, one of them especially, a guy by the name of Keith Turner said, why don't you come back and let's meet tonight after the last game and let's read the Bible together. I said, okay. So after the last game at nine o'clock, we all took showers by about 10 o'clock. We were in the dorm room. And I was reading from my favorite passage when I was young, Ephesians chapter five, where he talks about be imitators of God. And I took them through it. What I did not expect is for Keith Turner to give his life to Christ that night. And so he became a Christian and he went on to show you how God works. He went on to uh, play division one basketball at Tennessee Tech University. Two other guys became Christ followers that night. I did not expect that. Now here's the problem I was faced with. They just gave their lives to Jesus but I don't want to take them to my church. <laughs> I don't want to take them to my church, but against my better judgment, I thought, man, this is the only place I know, so I'm going to take them to church. So I asked them all to meet me. The whole team came, including my coach, even those who had not received Christ. It was a nightmare. <laughs> uh, they didn't even make it out of the foyer into the sanctuary before somebody said to them, hey man, if you're going to come to our church, you need a suit and tie because they were in jeans and a t-shirt. One guy had tattoos. Yeah, we had tattoos in the 70s and 80s. And one lady just gave him ups one side down the other. You're not coming in the house of the Lord. And before we even got in, they had been judged for their haircuts. And so we got in and the sermon was the same topic it was every other week of the year. It was on sin and how evil everybody outside was and going to hell. So I brought them. They were so nervous. I remember as the communion tray passed by these big basketball players, their hands were shaking because they didn't know what to do. Things weren't explained because our church never expected anybody to be there that was far from God. Only people who were close to God and were pious, righteous people could come to our church. Plus the fact we were still singing 18th century songs and I'm sorry we were. And even though I liked them, still liked them today, our basketball buddies thought, what on earth is this? <laughs> now you have to have an experience to appreciate this. And I just had one recently. Before I had my accident, Robin and I went up to San Luis Obispo. I wanted to go to the mission there. And when I go to these Southern California missions, I like to spend half a day. There's all kinds of stuff you can do and read. Well, I also like to pray. I just find it easy to pray in those places. And so I go up on the front row of the mission and I kneel down on the prayer pads there and I began to pray. I, I didn't recognize the time. It was 11.55. So five minutes into my prayer, a bell rung and I found myself caught in midday mass. <laughs> While I was praying, a bunch of people came in behind me, and I was leading the mass, kind of. I was just praying. I looked up, and here comes the priest out. 
Now, I studied Catholicism, and so I know a lot about Catholicism, but I, I, I'm out of practice. I'm rusty. And so I didn't know when to stand up and sit down. I didn't know when to repeat after the priest and when not to repeat. I had my hat on, and then it suddenly dawned on me, man, you're, you better take your hat off. So I took my hat off, and then the priest comes out and does communion, and I'm not Catholic, so I'm not supposed to go up. Actually, I can go up, but then he says, speaks a different blessing. But I'm nervous. I'm shaking. I am a pastor, and I'm nervous shaking like a leaf in church. And I, and I wasn't going to get up and walk out because I was on the front row. Now, some of you do that, but I wouldn't do that. <laughs> so I sat through about a half an hour mass, okay? Nervous. And then it was over. I think, whoo. And then the priest came down, shook my hand, and welcomed me. And I said, you know, thank you, Father. You know, what do you do? What do you do? I, you know, do you kiss his hand? I don't know. It's been, I'm out of practice. The point is, I was a wreck, Okay? Now, I want to read to you something out of Luke chapter 15 that Jesus himself says, the context is that the tax collectors, verse 1 of chapter 15, and the sinners were all gathering around Jesus. He was hanging out with the sinner dudes, okay? The Pharisees, the Bible says, and the teachers of the law started talking to each other, muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, those people. And Jesus knew their heart. So he tells this story. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country? The open country. Some of your translations will say the wilderness, where the predators are, exposed. And the Bible says Jesus left them. He would leave them exposed to predators and go after the one lost sheep until he finds it. In other words, he's got a plan. He's strategic. He's not giving up until he brings it home. And the Bible says when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Rejoice, the Bible says. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together. and He says, rejoice with me. I found the lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, in case they missed it and they were thick, Jesus told three stories back to back to back. And he says the next story, what about a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one? Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over God or of God over one sinner who repents. Now, here's what you find. Number one, there's great intentionality on Jesus' part. He doesn't wait for the lost sheep to come home. He goes and he gets it, okay? He's not waiting for them to come to him. He's going out and he's leaving. He's risking, taking great risks to find the one who's away from God. Second, did you notice that uh, there is this idea of celebration when the one is found? Everybody stops and celebrates. There's a big party. And third, the Bible says that not only is there a party here, there's a party in heaven. Now, I find this interesting. When you and I resist temptation, God smiles, but there's no party in heaven. When you and I pursue holiness and Christ-likeness, God smiles. Jesus smiles. The Holy Spirit, he's elated. But no party in heaven. The parties only happen in heaven when someone who is far from God comes near to God. Then there is a party in heaven. And there's supposed to be one here. Now, here's the point. The church I grew up in had no passion for people far from God. Their number one descriptive word would be this. They were all little consumers. And here's why. Because their thought was, hey, life is so busy, I spend no time with God during the week. So when I come here, I want it to be what I want. And so 
They wanted the songs to be exactly the way they wanted them. They wanted the preacher to wear a certain color of tie. I remember my mother complaining, the preacher's tie, I didn't like it this morning. And I don't like the preacher's haircut. And who's trimming the bushes out in front of the church building? They don't trim them tight enough. We argued stupid stuff that doesn't matter because we were distracted from the real goal. And that's what happens. When you turn inwardly, you start arguing about stupid stuff. But as long as you have a passion for the people out there, matter of fact, Philemon 6 tells you that when you share your faith, you're actually going to discover every good and perfect gift that comes from God in Christ Jesus. Now, do you realize that the reason a lot of my generation left the church was because of this stuff? We heard one thing in Sunday school and then saw another demonstrated. Nobody had a passion for anybody far from God. Now, listen. I can't do this. I can't play this game. God has wired me differently. I told the elders when they hired me, you got to know I'm a missionary at heart. I spent most of my life away from the U.S., out in Zimbabwe and Rwanda or Kenya or Zambia and now Australia, New Zealand, and now I've come here. I've come home. God has called me here, so I'm here. But that journey started when I was younger. I was so frustrated that I, Jesus was incredibly relevant, but the church seemed to be irrelevant. It never talked about the things people really wanted to talk about, the struggles they were having. It just kept preaching to the choir week after week after week. Then I go to Africa. That's another story, another time, another sermon. I come back and I go to seminary and I discover two things. For the first time in my life, I hear about the doctrine of grace. 30 years old and the first time I hear that you are saved by grace through faith. And I'm in Romans class with my theology professor And it dawns on me what he's saying for the first time, and I'm reading it in the book of Romans. And for the first time, this joy just overwhelms me. Wait, you mean God accepts me on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross, not on how good I was last week? And I actually started to weep. My professor asked me after class, what was wrong? And I told them, I have never been taught this. I've been a missionary in Africa, and I didn't know this. Because I had grown up in a church that told me, self-righteous, pious people, we're better than them. We're glad there's a hell, but you better be here at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and you better go call it on Friday. And if you do something wrong, Jesus is just up there with an eraser. And your name out of the book of life is being scratched out. (laughs) Now, I learned that. Then I learned the other thing. When you do give your life to Christ, that the Spirit of God comes in. And when the Spirit of God comes in, he starts to transform you. And it's kind of like that movie, Back to the Future, when he had the vision of the flux capacitor. I had the vision, not for the flux capacitor, but it dawned on me what was wrong. We got it backwards. In the church, we expect people to behave and be like Jesus. And then they're allowed to come into church. And then when they come into the church, we're going to teach them and they will believe. And if they believe and behave, then we'll accept them. And it was the opposite of what Jesus did. He said, no. I'm going to accept all y'all first. He was from Tennessee, Southern. All y'all, I'm going to accept all you all first. Because all of you are sinners. All of you. And because we accept you, then you're going to come in, you're going to feel welcome, and then we're going to preach the good news of the gospel. And the word of God's going to get into you. And by faith, you will receive Christ. And then it's the Holy Spirit's job to come inside you and begin to conform you to the image of his son. It's not my job to make you live right. It's my job to deliver the good news of the gospel so the Spirit of God will come in you and he will start his work in you. And he who starts a work in you is faithful to complete it on the day of redemption. And so God starts doing this in my mind in seminary. 
And then he sends me to New Zealand where I become an apologist. And then I start to know that the world really is open to hear about the good news of the gospel. It's just in all the way we start our conversations. And if we go to them in arrogance and self-righteousness, we've already lost. But if we go at them with a story that we have to tell, the transformational work Jesus has done, and we admit that we too are sinners, that we're all struggling with something, it's amazing how open they are to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So I learned to do that. Folks, God has called me to preach the gospel. And there are opportunities he opens up for our church some of which I never get to share with you. But I will not stop, and we should not stop, ever from proclaiming the good news and leaving the 90 and 9 and taking risk and being willing to go where Jesus leads. And do you know where Jesus leads? Into the wilderness. And he leads to the cross where you die to yourself to live for something else. And that's who we are, and it's who I am, and it's why I make decisions and do things sometimes that make no sense to you, because you're a believer. Sometimes we actually make decisions not for you, but for the person who's out there who does not yet believe. People are far from God. This is what I'm called to do, and I need all of us to be all in in this if we're going to have a fully devoted follower of Jesus in every home in this valley. Having said that, though, God keeps sending us opportunities. Do you know last time I was in Africa, I was in the bush of Zimbabwe. People did not have running water. People did not have sanitation, but they had cell phones. No electricity. <laughs> well, how do they charge their phones? They have these little solar panels that they carry around with them. Cell phones in the bush of Africa. And some of the pastors said, Pastor Jeff, when are you going to create something that we can have access to on our cell phone, sermons and transcripts and books so that we can have access in Africa. We, don't, we can't afford those. When are you gonna do that? My heart is for pastors overseas who don't have access to all the stuff that pastors here have access to. And so that's why I've had a vision a long time for internet cafes in Africa and think they could read John MacArthur commentaries. They could go listen to sermons by Chuck Swindoll or by Greg Laurie or by maybe even Jeff Vines or whatever they're gonna do. And they can grow. They, you know what that does? It opens up the world to them. The point is, the point is, if we are all in together, then we can reach the world for Christ. And every opportunity God sends our way, we never have to say no because we're overflowing with resources. The question is, how far are you and I willing to go to rescue people far from God? Jesus was willing to momentarily leave those he relentlessly loves to relentlessly pursue those who risk forever being separated from him. What are you and I willing to do? Okay, this is the end. God has blessed us so much, continues to bless us, but we're not waiting on God. He's waiting on us. And what he's waiting on us is this. Are we unified in this vision to go after people far from God? And if we are, are we willing to risk? Are we willing to come together in unity and make this thing happen? I want us to make a commitment together. My heart for people far from God, I don't see it ever changing. I die inside when we start focusing internally. Man, if we're just coming and doing the same thing week after week and not making an impact out there, I, I just die inside. I just wither, dry up because it's not my calling. If you want a pastor that's just gonna feed you every week and just kind of stroke you and say, great job, and I'm not your guy. If you want a guy that's gonna lead you and challenge you, I'm your guy.
I'm going to count to three, and would you say, I am all in? Don't say it unless you mean it. And you say, well, how can I say I'm all in? I don't even know what you're doing. We're going to roll out our vision because we do believe, finally, God has answered that call. And not, he's been waiting on us to get our hearts right, maybe. Who knows? But God has finally revealed what our next step is, our next stage. So we're going to roll that out. We don't know exactly all the details, but when we come to you, we will. And I need you to pray. I need you to pray that I would listen to God, not to man. You know, having a missionary heart, man, I have a hard time with some things that a lot of megachurch pastors don't. And I have a hard time with where we send our money and what we give it to. And so I need you to pray for me that I would continue to listen to God, not man, that our elders would listen to God, not man, that our executive team would listen to God, not man. And when we come in here in the fall, it will be from God, not man. So you pray for that. that well, that's what it means to be all in. Second, second, would you be all in with your first fruits? Now, let me say something to you here. I know, you know, megachurch pastors get a bum rap because all you guys do is talk about money. Let me tell you why we have directional, intentional offering times, okay? Because the reality is in a mega church, it's, hard, it's easy to hide. And so here's what happens. Statistically speaking, 18% of you tithe and 15% of you give next to nothing, okay? That's the statistics in most mega churches. You got a small group of people doing everything, giving all the resources, serving. When you hear me talk about offering in the future, I'm not trying to get more money out of you. I'm trying to get people who aren't giving to start giving. Do you understand that? So don't get mad at me. What I need you to say is, oh, I see what Pastor Jeff is doing. He's trying to get everybody on board. He's not trying to get more money from me. He's just trying to get everybody to jump in. Because if everybody jumps in, would you imagine the resources we would have? And every time an opportunity comes, I don't have to come to you and ask. It's already there and we do it. Do you know how much freedom that would be? So I'm asking you to do as a disciple what you ought to be doing, bringing the tithes into the storehouse. If you are one of those that you give to something else, that's great, but that's your offering. If this is a place that feeds you and this is the place that you need to bring the tithes in. So I want you to say, I'm all in to bring in the first fruits. I'm all in to risking. I'm gonna risk. I'm gonna leave the 99 and go out to the wilderness. I'm gonna follow Jesus. And third, I want you to say, I'm all in to a life of selflessness. What does that mean? This is the end of the sermon, the real end. It means, you know what? I am going to take for granted that the things that happen around our church on a weekend are not specifically for me. That what Jeff is doing may not make much sense to me, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and believe that he's doing something this way in order to reach somebody that's far from God that's here right now. So when Pastor Jeff says, now let me explain communion to you for the thousandth zillionth time, I'm going to know it's not for me. It's for those people who are there whose hands are shaking when the communion tray comes by. When he gives a disclaimer during the offering time, I'm going to assume that he's seen somebody or knows that there's somebody there that needs to hear, hey, God is not only after your money. He's after everything. I'm going to assume when they do a song that I don't necessarily like, that maybe it's not for me. And so I'm going to pray during this song. Even though I don't like it, somebody probably does. That you start to come to church with a selfless attitude. And let's not be consumers. Let's be people who come on the weekend who've been with God all week, who've been with him all week. So this is just a plus where the corporate body of Jesus gets together. And whatever happens, we're trusting Jeff and our leadership to be before God, because I promise you we are, and asking God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? And to follow his lead. Would you please help me? Let's not be self-righteous. Those kind of people don't help anybody. And Jesus had his most harsh sermons for them.
Let's know that we're all sinners saved by grace and let's welcome everyone in here. Welcome everyone here. Let me, let me hear you. Let me look in your eyes and know that you're not gonna be shocked whoever walks in here. You're gonna be loving, accepting, and you're gonna think this. Wow, they're here. Fantastic. They're gonna hear the word of God today. Who knows what the spirit of God will do in them? And I'm a sinner just like they are. So I'm gonna love them. Please. And let's risk and let's give our all and let's not rest until there is a fully devoted follower of Jesus in every home in this valley. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Finds. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you listen to podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.